as uh, many of you have heard, our church family suffered a tremendous loss on Friday night. One of our youngest members, Eli Douglas Bird, the son of Ian and Emily, he went home to be with his creator. And I don't believe that there's any source of grief in this world greater than the loss of a child. A child that we had plans for. A child that we had planned a future for. A child we'd love to hold. A child we'd loved to kiss. And this feels terrible and unnatural because it is. There's nothing that I could come up with on my own as a pastor that could help you. There's nothing that I could come up with that has the magnitude of healing that is needed for such a situation. And to be honest, as your pastor, it's not really my responsibility to provide that healing, but it's my responsibility to guide you to that healing. There is comfort to be had today, and it's provided by Eli's heavenly father, the sovereign God of both life and death. So today, as we mourn and we cry and we grieve together for our baby, we look to God alone for peace, a supernatural peace that surpasses all of our understanding. As I was searching through God's word to figure out what to talk about today. I was stricken by how much suffering there is throughout Scripture. Hundreds of instances of suffering of God's people, of his children. And I was also stricken by the amount of comfort that God provided every single time. And so as we look through Scripture today, which you'll find a lot of, um, we will find evidence for God's love for us. I've uh, printed out all the scripture references today. We put this um, together last minute, so it will, will not be on your, um, on your screen. So if you would like a copy, I'm sure Jason could grab a copy for you. Just raise your hand. Um, there's going to be a lot of scripture reading today because I don't trust my own words to provide any sort of comfort, but I'm going to trust the word of God. And so we will be reading through that. Again, Jason has some copies. But first I would like to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul <clears throat> speaking of death. He says, we don't, want you to be uninf- we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do without hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are the words from our Lord given us today. They're given to us as we grieve and as we mourn our loss. But to be assured that our loss was the Lord's gain. The Lord gained one of his own on Friday night back to the heavenly realm. And our loss here in this broken, terrifying, sad, and lost world has been the Lord's gain, has been Eli's gain, and a beautiful and majestic, perfect, no sadness or tears, heavenly realm. But we mourn because we miss Eli. We mourn when we lose loved ones because we miss them. And we're really mourning for ourselves. We're mourning for our own sadness because today we don't mourn for Eli. For Eli is in a better place because we know that Eli went to sleep And when he woke up, he was with his heavenly father. So we mourn for ourselves, not for our boy. And as this has been a tearful, tearful couple of days, and there's going to be tearful weeks and months and years, this is to be expected. God has told us that we're going to suffer. It's a syrupy myth that God's people won't suffer. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4 said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we will suffer, we will mourn, and it's because of sin and because of death, and I believe that understanding through God's word, through the intervention of the Holy Spirit today, that we can begin to understand why God has allowed suffering, and this will help us in our mourning and encourage us to love each other and grieve with one another. Like I said, throughout Scripture, there's many examples of this suffering. But we see how God uses suffering to draw him close into himself. It's always been a motive for the Lord. God uses the absolute brokenness and weakness of our grief to draw us close to him. I read somewhere that God's always speaking to us, to his children, and that in our joys and in our pleasures and when things are going very well, that God is whispering sweetness to us. But in our pain and in our suffering, God is shouting that he is using a platform and a megaphone to shout to us to make his presence known and to reveal that he is truly sovereign, not just of the goodness, but of the sorrow, not just over life, but he is sovereign over death. And if we believe that God is sovereign, then we must trust him. But I know if you're like me, what are you shouting to me right now, Lord? What is it that you are desiring for me to hear 
And I believe the Lord is shouting to us that he is the God of love and provision, that he is the God of his baby boy, Eli, that Eli is with him. And as we grieve, we grieve not like the rest of the world who don't have any hope, but we grieve with full hope that Eli is in heaven and that we will embrace him again one day. You know, God's word tells us that he knew Eli before we ever did. That he made Eli inside of Emily. That he formed him before the foundations of the world. And that God had a plan for Eli, for all those who have left us. For Eli particularly, he had a short stay. His, God's plan was for, to put that beautiful boy into our life for 17 short months. For 17 months, that boy was on this tiny place we call Earth, that he was with us, that he would be under the care of his wonderful parents, that Eli would smile, that he would share his life, his sassiness, his giggles, that God would have Eli glorify him for a little bit here. But then he would call him to his home for all of eternity, not for a little bit, not, for, not on a little place, but in an eternal place where he could glorify him forever. But let's not beat around a bush. A baby's died. And as a pastor, easily the hardest thing to talk about is the death of an infant. It's easy for us to talk about adults and the salvation that was understood, but what about a baby who, might, who doesn't yet have that cognitive ability to understand an eternal plan of redemption and salvation? And I'm going to be honest. I don't know if all babies who die go to heaven. The Bible doesn't talk about it. I hope, I pray that all babies go to heaven, but I can't tell you that with certainty. But I can tell you something else with certainty, with 100% certainty, that an infant under the covenant of grace, a covenant child is in heaven when they die. I can say that with full confidence that Eli is in heaven today because of the covenant that was made between his father and his mother and their household. I can say with certainty that the covenant children of God who pass away in infancy are in heaven. I don't say that out of any other conviction than that which comes from God's word, because that is what God has told us. And I will read you examples of that. There's no question what happens to believers, to their children of believers upon their passing. God's spoken clearly about this. And one of Peter's, in Peter's most famous sermon, in one of the most famous sermons of the day we call Pentecost, where thousands became believers, 
as the Holy Spirit descended upon them, Peter preaches covenantally. He he preaches of a God who makes promises to his people. In Acts 2.29, Peter is preaching and he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is still with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath, a covenant, a promise to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. And they said to Peter, who was preaching to him and to them and the rest of the apostles, they said, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, for those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, including children and babies. This was Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, and really his overarching theme is that the Holy Spirit encouraged him and inspired him to preach covenantly to these people, to preach of the God who has made promises, the God who establishes an oath between his people through the blood of his son Jesus. Peter was talking of the same covenant that was made to Eli, that through the covenant made with Ian and Emily, a covenant sealed with the blood of a lamb, a covenant secured until the judgment day that Eli would be amongst the number of the elect children of God because God promised this covenant for the Bird family, for their household, for your son Ethan. And this promise was made by God who has always dealt with his people in this way, by making promises, by making covenants. And as if there were any questions about it, Peter in the same book of Acts, would go on later and say in Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is the way in which our mourning is unlike the rest of the world's. This is the way that we grieve for a lost one that is different than everybody else in the world. We mourn and grieve with the hope of reuniting with our baby brother. But still there is sorrow. Still there is suffering. 
God knows what suffering is associated with losing a son. God is well aware of what it means to lose a son, to be separated from a son. Not only that, but the son whom was separated from a father, from the father even for a short period of time, was familiar with suffering himself. The man, the God-man Jesus referred to as the man of sorrows. We know that Jesus knew suffering well. He hysterically cried at the loss of his friend Lazarus, which is unique if you think about it because this is the God-man Jesus who knows that in a short time that he's going to be raised from the dead. He knows that he is going to embrace him shortly, but still the loss of him is painful. So he knows how, to, how we suffer. The Apostle Paul spoke how Christ shares in this sufferings and how Christ seeks to comfort us as he knows what we're feeling in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we, the apostles, suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The Apostle Paul is speaking of great suffering and prays that we would be able to have the clarity that he was receiving from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was giving Paul this amazing ability to think eternally, not earthly. He continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and he says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer natures are wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent, speaking of our bodies, which is our earthly home, a tent is temporary, a tent is taken down, but that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens, for in this tent right now we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is why we are mourning ourselves and not Eli. Paul continues to talk about this suffering again. In Romans 8, he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So if you can picture it, Paul is saying, if you can imagine a scale, like the scales of justice, and here, if you weigh the sufferings, the present day sufferings of this world, this sufferings, this weight that is on this scale has been given to you by sin, has been inflicted on you by the fallen nature of this world. And on the other side, there are glories that are eternal. There are, there are no more tears. And this has been given to you by the eternal God. Who is, whose love is unconditional and everlasting. And he's saying these scales are not even close. That the weight of what has been given to us by the God of all loving and understanding has nothing to worry about in this present day affliction of what sin may desire to hurt us with. It's not even worth comparing. He continues in verse 26 and he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is going to sound familiar. We don't know how to pray right now. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for our words. And he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit interceded for the saints according to the will of God. And we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he has also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. More promises. If you're like me, you don't have the eternal knowledge of God. We are not eternal right now. We're not able to even fathom his eternal plans. We don't have any idea how good his plans are for his children. And I'll tell you this, we have no idea what has been set in motion by claiming Eli early. I don't think we could even comprehend how God is going to use this for his glory. We have no idea God's purpose for his timing for taking him. But we do know that his plan superseded any plan we had for him on our own. Any plan we could have possibly wished for or imagined had nothing in comparison 
through the plan God had for him. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man can even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. His plan was to use Eli for a short time here. For us to be able to love him and hold him. But now he's in the arms of the Savior. Eli's not in heaven because his flesh was perfect. We know that Eli was born with the same disease and condition that you were born with and I was born with. And we call that original sin. He was born with that. But he was forgiven by Jesus. And as I was looking, trying to find things to comfort us, um, I found a, a passage, something written by the Council of Dort, which was a council in um, early 17th century. These were smart theologians who gathered together to take the beautiful canonization, the entirety of Scripture. They took the entirety of Scripture and they would write uh, blurbs or, or things for us to be able to study it and to be able to understand it. Councils like this took place to put together our catechisms, to put together our confessions, and something that came out of the Council of Dort spoke clearly of the death of children of believers, and I found it very comforting. It says, because we must judge the will of God from his word, meaning that we look to his word on our own to see his will. This word testifies that the children of believers are holy. Not by their nature, but by the blessing of the covenant of grace in which they are embraced with their parents. Therefore, pious parents or parents of the covenant ought not to doubt the election and the salvation of their children who God calls from this life in infancy. Amen. Not, there's no doubt. There's no question. So what God is saying is, yes, I've taken this child from you. I've taken him to heaven. I've left you suffering. I've left you desolate for reasons you can't know right now. But in doing so, I've brought Eli with me into everlasting joy. Your loss has been God's great gain. And so the promises that I want to leave you with today that God has promised us is that Eli is with him right now, in heaven. That God has promised to meet us here and to share in our sufferings. And that God has promised to turn our sorrow into joy. I'd like to end with this poem. You'll find it written down at the end of your, uh, your notes by Edith Lillian Young. And it's called Disappointment, His Appointment. The difference of one letter. So read along with me, please. Disappointment, His Appointment. 
Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise, for the end from the beginning, open to his wisdom lies. Disappointment, his appointment. Whose? The Lord who loves me best, understands and knows me fully, who my faith and love would test. For like a loving earthly parent, he rejoices when he knows that his child accepts unquestioned all from his wisdom flows. Disappointment, his appointment. No good thing will he withhold from denials of we gather treasure of his love untold. While he knows each broken purpose leads to fuller, deeper trust, and the end of all his dealings prove our God is wise and just. Disappointment is disappointment. Lord, I take it then as such, like the rod in hands of potter yielding wholly to thy touch. All my life's plan is thy molding, not one single choice be mine. Let me answer unrepining, Father, not my will but thine. Heavenly Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would wrap us in your arms, be with Emily and Ian and Ethan and Steve and Rosalina, with all those who loved your beautiful baby boy, and we thank you, Lord, that you had a plan for him that was better than ours. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God of comfort, that you are the man of sorrows, Jesus, that you know our pain. So send your spirit. May there be some miraculous, supernatural peace that falls on us. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that you have brought us here to cry with one another, to love one another, to hug one another, to tell stories of the boy we loved. I pray that we would trust the promises that you've revealed to us today, that you've promised that this will, that this sorrow will be turned to joy, that you will comfort us with a peace that we don't understand. So Lord, we come before you now. Give us the confidence that we stand here now with an intercessor who by his blood has made us children of the covenant, that no matter what this earth does to us to tear us down or even to take us away, that because of the blood that has been given and poured out to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we have an earthly home, a building which you have prepared for us, a place where we will spend all of eternity with every loved one we have ever lost and that we will be in your glorious presence for all of eternity. May we think eternally, Lord, about who you are and who you've called us to be. As this world fades away, Lord, may we fix our eyes on the cross which secured an eternal redemption for us. 
So we stand before your throne. We cry out hallelujah. Hallelujah to the one who was slain, the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Meet us here, Father God. We pray this in the name of the man of sorrows, in the name of the one who is, lo- who is the lover of our souls, in the name of the one who is our comforter, provider, and friend, in the name of the one who embraces our boy now. We pray this in the name, the one and only name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.